Scott Robbins with Summit Sotheby's. This is Jim Wood. I'm with the Gardner Policy Institute, University of Utah. Dayon Eskich, Chemistry Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. Alicia Holdaway with Summit Sotheby's, and I am your 2020 incoming president. Uh, well, today we're excited to have uh, Jim and Dayon from the Kim Gardner Institute and talk about our year in review. As realtors, I think we all get uh, asked a lot of questions about how was this year compared to last year's or what is this year going to be for moving forward. And I would like to start maybe with a, a simple question is tell me what the Kim Gardner Institute exactly does. If we can start there. Well, uh, glad to. Uh, we are a part of the School of Business, and we are off-campus uh, on South Temple in what was the Enos Wall Mansion, which is uh, now uh, the Thomas Monson Center, and uh, the building was gifted to the University of Utah by the LDS Church uh, four or five years ago, and uh, it has been renovated and uh, with about $10 million dollars. And we have a staff of uh, 30 or so, 30 economists. Uh, we have some sociologists, econometricians, statisticians. So, uh, and the, the areas that we look at, we have three main areas. One is survey research. We do some survey research for uh, groups. Uh, another is public policy and economics. And that involves... Um, uh, a number of studies that we do every year right now. I think we have underway probably um, well over a dozen studies. Wow. And then we have uh, a demographic unit. Uh, they do all of the uh, estimates and projections for the state and by county. And uh, we do that. We're funded by the legislature and the executive office uh, to do the demographics. And uh, under each of those three, there's all sorts of uh, activity uh, and different studies ongoing. Uh, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute uh, came from a merger from what was once the Bureau of Economic and Business Research, which had been on campus since 1932, and the Center for Public Policy Administration, uh, not quite as long, but been on campus for a long time, and it was over in uh, political science, and we merged the two groups and moved downtown. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, just one other comment. Most of our work is for state government, local government, nonprofits, on occasion the federal government, and we do very little work for private firms. Interesting. Great. Well, in case you guys recognize the voice, I mean, Jim has been speaking at our forecast breakfast for numerous years, and Dayon has also, uh, I've definitely heard you speak at some board functions as well about the economic indicators and how we're doing with number of units sold, so uh, you'll have to look them up to put the name with a face. But uh, my first question is just kind of how did this year or how is this year looking compared to other years? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, this year turned out to be a lot better than expected when we were here this time last year, where what, re what was really the, the kind of factor that made this year good was the interest rates went in the direction yeah. opposite of where everybody thought it was going to go. Sure. So that, that brought some stability or a lot of stability back into the market. If you looked at 
you know, the year over change in, I think it was March and April, it was at like two and a half, three percent, well below the eight or nine percent average we've been at for the past 30 months. And, and so that's when the interest rates dropped and the year over price went up. And that's also helped a, a lot with the builders and their expectations and the construction sure. activity. So it, it's been a much better year than people expected it to be. Interest rates have been good. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Any um, comments specific to interest rates and where you guys, um, what data you have to project where those are headed? Uh, well, my crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> Left that at home. Yes. <laughs> interest rates are tough. Yeah. And uh, as we saw last year, uh, when I gave the forecast uh, breakfast, I looked at about 10 different forecasts for interest rates last a year ago in December. And the prevailing um, figure was about 5%. Uh, this year, I've looked at this, uh, about the same group, and the prevailing uh, rate uh, uh, projection is about 36 3.7% um, for 2020. The Fed might reduce rates uh, maybe once, maybe twice at most in 2020. Uh, there's signs of a little bit of a slowdown in uh, uh, the economy um, and uh, particularly, I'd say, on business investment nationally. Um, we see uh, a little decline um, in Utah in terms of the growth rate, not a decline, an actual growth? decline. No, in the employment growth. Mm -hmm. uh, employment growth... <coughs> We are eight years into really the uh, the first or second longest expansion, depending depending how you measure it. The 1990s were really great, um, but we've had eight years of uh, really strong growth. If you look at uh, employment over those eight years, the employment growth has averaged 3.3 percent. Um, our our estimate for this year is uh, three point or actually two point eight percent so that is an estimate that comes from <clears throat> what's called the revenue assumption working group which is part of uh, the executive branch and the legislative branch uh, they come up with that consensus forecast to come up with the revenue forecast for the state so that's kind of that's the official uh, forecast and so a little little slower growth um, and, and when you say 2.8% employment growth, I mean, that is still healthy. Uh, that would put us in the top five. Top five of yeah. all 50 In the wow. nation. That's yeah. wow. still yeah. great. You know, you and I spoke uh, on a panel a, a few months ago, and a lot of the questions came to um, what are the impacts of that growth, right? So a lot of our, our growth <coughs> obviously is bolstered upon such a healthy economy, housing affordability, all, uh, lifestyle, all of those things, do you see a challenge coming to um, that growth because, you know, we're a victim of our own success, so to speak? Um, do you see the, the growth slowing because of the growth, if well, that makes sense? You know, it, it does, and it's kind Great of a question. It's, it's kind of a, there's a catch-22 to it, being the sort of victims of our own success. We benefit because we're more affordable. We're going faster than the big the big metro areas. That's where we're seeing a lot of activity come from. And 
eventually, you know, there's a ceiling we hit. One is that ceiling five, 10, 20 years away, who knows? But you're, you're, you're seeing from the business community when they look at their relocations, you know, Utah is no longer an afterthought and it's like one of their first places they look at, but now they're looking at Boise and Phoenix and looking at that affordability. And the, the thing that's, you know, interesting here is if you look at housing prices and you look at income growth, they're going on different tra- trajectories basically. And so w- that forces employers to pay more. Mm-hmm. So it, where is that breaking point between saying, okay, we're going to move to Phoenix or Idaho versus moving to Salt Lake? Will you speak to those trajectories and when you say they're on different paths? Well, Jim, you have the exact. Yeah, I've got some. uh, Well, these are price data for metro areas in the western states. And of uh, the 11 western states, the Salt Lake metro area, which includes Tooele County, uh, is the leader. Uh, And this is third quarter to third quarter. A uh, little bit different than the county data, but the uh, increase in prices they show uh, of 12% in the Salt Lake metro area. Now, the Salt Lake metro area has an absolute, has a median value of uh, 361000 but Dan was mentioning uh, how we fit into the surrounding areas and that trajectory if you look at Boise, Boise had uh, good growth at over 10%, but their median sales price is 300000 303000 mm. So way below where we are. Uh, you look at Albuquerque, really good growth, 9.6% uh, last year, but their uh, median sales price is $228,000. Um, Las Vegas, 313000 a growth of 6.3%. And Phoenix... 289,200. Now, I don't have Reno in here. Reno is actually above Salt Lake metro area in absolute price, and it's been really uh, growing rapid. It's spillover from, they say, <laughs> from the Bay Area. Uh, people are commuting, I guess. Uh, that's a long commute. But uh, what you can see is th- those are metro areas that we compete with, and right now, uh, uh, we're still advantaged uh, for a lot of reasons, um, and labor is one, uh, but, uh, and consequently, we've had really good growth. But uh, um, the concern is that where will we be 10 years from now? Um, and people always point to what's going on in California where people are leaving. And uh, um, so <coughs> it's... Um, we're not there yet, but it's an appropriate question from where we sit because out there it's about 90th south or a little south of that. Between Midville and uh, American Fork um, the, or Pleasant Grove, the daily traffic in 2012 was about 120,000 vehicles a day. Uh, in the most recent data we have, 2017, it was 185,000. So that is it's awful. a reflection of growth. <laughs> yeah. And the questioning is, who benefits from growth? We all do here. The realtors have benefited. The university has benefited. Um, but uh, how widespread are those benefits? That's I never really considered Albuquerque uh, a consideration in, in the thinking of discussions of City of the West. But when you sit here and listen to 
200 an average median sales price of 228,000 that that's that's 100,000 more less than ours yeah so um, that's interesting. Retirement's beckoning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Go down there and get a nice yeah. little rambler. That's on your mind, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, in, in the sense that lots of questions, I mean, but do you, I mean, do you look at a number or do you look at, let's say, a sales price that you just go, this is not good? Or is it more comparison to other cities? I mean, if all of a sudden we're at 480000 because yeah. I know four years ago we were $100,000 less in our average sales price. And, you know, four years from now, is it just – I don't know. Do you even have that thought or you just you just read the data? I mean, it, it goes both ways. Um, there's no – you can't convince somebody with a number. You have to tell them a great story. Um, and on that it is – if you just look at – what, what our housing shortage is since we've turned the recession, you know, it's hovers between somewhere 45 to 50,000. Um, where we are in the cycle right now, given how much growth is happening, mm-hmm. you know, that, that only keeps putting it's pressure up. It, yeah. it only it's keeps it's pushing pressure up. up. And, you know, it, it's getting more and more difficult to bring new units to the market. Mm-hmm. And so, all, all the existing units that go out to the market that all of you guys deal with, they're, you know, they don't they don't have to compete too hard to sell their home, right. and and that's reflective of all. I the got in, some in, sellers who think differently, but well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I would too if I was a seller. Um, but Utah has been leading the nation in terms of number of new units, right? And in, in, in building more new units than most well, of the states. In uh, in percentage growth. Um, and I, I, I haven't <clears throat> haven't looked at that number recently, but but we've been a leader. I think you'd have to include um, the multifamily as well. Mm. Oh, so if yeah. you take single family and multifamily construction, and where we were in 2012 and where we are now, if we're not the leader, we're in the top three. Yeah. Uh, another measure which reflects that and, and that conclusion is if you look at construction and employment. Uh, in Utah from 2010 to 2019, um, construction employment has increased 60%, the highest in the country. No other state has had that sort of increase in construction. And if you look at statewide numbers and compare it, uh, the construction sector in both absolute and relative terms is the fastest growing sector. So that tells me that you know, we got a lot of units, and we are probably right at the top of the pack. Is that inclusive of, com- like the the airport, the prison? No. That's no, just this housing. This is dwelling units. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Oh, oh, on the on the on construction the labor. Oh, the labor. No, the the labor would be all construction. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're we're actually we pulled some figures. If we looked at just overall construction value. Starting in like 2012, I think when things start rebounding, you had like 17,000 construction workers per billion dollars of construction value. Take that to last year, we're at about 12,000 workers per billion. So there's definite uh, tightness in the labor market too, which is adding adding more. You know, if you think of delivering units, it's yeah. a bottleneck. Yeah. So it, it's adding even more more difficulty, and and in, in that sector. You know, you have competing, you know, you look at the I-15 corridor, everything, all the commercial activity you have. Sure. You have um, 
the airport, as you just mentioned. And, and two, you know, when they finish the airport next year, they're going to pick up their toolboxes, just had, had a few miles Head down south. to the state prison. So th- that's still going to persist. So how immigration and national policies play into that, mm-hmm. just for further complicating the construction trades. Yeah. I mean, I, mean that, I find that interesting in the sense that because we have had such great growth for so many years that we're still short construction. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, it, it, and particularly. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, well, uh, you look at uh, that growth that we've had, sixty percent increase, and uh, I hear from builders all the time that um, one of the questions I ask: what's your what's your biggest problem? And it's either labor costs, uh, sure, or materials. Those yeah. two, um, and and uh, nimbyism uh, that that comes into play, but. Uh, so, um, yeah, we've had this, um, and, and the, the Home Builders Association and other associations, uh, and the Garf family has a foundation where they've developed what's called the Keys to Success. It's a website. I think they've invested, I heard, a million dollars into that website. And it is to try and attract high school kids to the mm, trades, sure, and to show them that actually this is a good, uh, a good uh, job. It pays well. I don't know how many builders I have told me, <laughs> tell me that uh, you know these kids. You can make you can make sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year after four or five years, and sure. so uh, it's. But uh, there has been some resistance, but there's an effort now to uh, try and reach out. And help that uh, that market, but uh, go ahead. But go, going back to why is this happening? The recession took out a generation of construction workers that were maybe in their latter years of their mm-hmm. careers, nearing retirement. And they just said but, we're done. And, and they and, yeah, and they said they're done, and they never really recovered mm-hmm. from that. You know, those guys left the field, took their institutional knowledge. So it, it's been. For, for a guy like me, for example, why am I not in the construction trade? Even though electrician, plumbers, they're making six fi- figures. Um, you know, if you look at outside right now, it's, yeah. it's much nicer to work yeah. here than it is out there. <laughs> now, I, so th- that that's also been the recruiting the new generation of construction workers. Yeah, I think the industry and with this effort, I think has an opportunity to do a better job at. Well, and there's been such a STEM push for so long. Yeah. Which, great, we need it, right? Yeah. But schools, I think, really um, mistakenly got away from the trades. And, yeah, I mean, woodshop. My kids don't have woodshop yeah. anymore. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. we went so STEM-based focused that a lot of that focus went away. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you break out the con- construction, tr- you know, data down into further levels, the one of the biggest gains and employment has been HVAC and building systems. Mm-hmm. And it's because it combines these two things, STEM mm-hmm. and, and the trade. So that, that's where you've seen a lot of the growth actually happen. Yeah, we, we did a study on, on employment, the Gardner Policy Institute, um, to see where the jobs are for next year. And the results of that study show that 70% of the job openings in 2020 will require an associate degree or less. Wow. wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That is fascinating. So you can get into um, a trade without a GED. 
because they need they need the workers so bad. Yeah, you just got to have the aptitude and uh, hard work. But, yeah. but we're still promoting stay in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So if you could say one thing about a recap of 2019 as it pertains to, obviously, housing. Hold on tight. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think when we – so we surveyed the home builders, the top 20, 25 group, and you know, their outlook for next year is optimistic for the most part, staying the same or getting better for most builders that we survey. But they do recognize that you know, some slowdown is coming. So what they're doing now is they're seeing how much – can I do without expanding Ex- growth you know, or per, employment growth yeah. their own with their current resources? Yeah, what can I do with my current resources, and how can I position? And and I think, you know, as one comment put it, is like the demand for you know three fifty and below is endless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if the challenge is figuring out how to deliver units at those kind of price points, which you're seeing reflective in the data, is more and more. Townhomes, condos, mm-hmm. yep. you know, they're outpacing single family. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's the issue of affordability. The challenge, uh, the, <clears throat> the median price of a new home uh, across the Wasatch Front is 455000 So there's no starter. There's not many. Uh, and and that, if, you, if you graph that, it would have a very short tail on the left side. There's not too many no, new homes that are built under 400000 no, You're talking single-family. Yeah. Detached single-family yeah. new homes. And as Scott mentioned, uh, if you go back to uh, 2012 to uh, 2018, the median sales price in Salt Lake County has gone up uh, 65%. So... Yeah. Um, what that means is in terms of a mortgage payment, a resident in Salt Lake County in, um, and these numbers are, uh, 2013, they paid about $1,200 for a mortgage. Today, they would pay almost $2,100 for the median price home. So that increase in the mortgage payment is not interest rates very much. It's mainly uh, price is going up. The increase in the price of an existing home. So, consequently, we have apartments going up everywhere. Um, and uh, also, as Dan mentioned, uh, condos, townhomes, um, those are affordable. And if, if you look at the cities, uh, major cities that have had the uh, most rapid growth, uh, Leighton and Ogden lead all cities of over 50,000 in population in increase in the price of a home so that shows a move to affordability where where prices are very favorable so affordability is i think um it's the watchword and it is uh a serious challenge to uh not only the residents but also businesses and state and county governments city government i i think it's as as important as transportation or air quality um, is housing affordability. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will continue this conversation in our next episode. Plus, we'll take a look ahead to 2020 and what it holds for the housing market. 